Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Lord willing, as we gather on campus again next Sunday, we'll kick off a new series in the book of Joshua. But today, uh, I want us to look at 1 Samuel 17, a very familiar story perhaps for all of us. I want us to hear about David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Now, I come to this chapter this morning uh, because this is where we are in our F260 Bible reading plan. And I hope that many of you are still with us on that journey as we're walking in the Word together this year. And uh, I've been so blessed and so encouraged uh, by reading uh, in this plan, and especially this past week and coming into this week, uh, where we're at now coming to the book of 1 Samuel. The Lord has just used uh, many of these chapters that we've read to bless and to encourage me, especially in the days that we've been going through. And uh, you're going to get ahead of the game this week. First uh, Samuel 17 and 18 is the first assigned reading for this week in the plan. And so I'm going to give you a head start as we look at 1 Samuel 17 together. Now, we all know this story. Uh, I'm going to make that presumption this morning that we all know this story. We've heard the story. We're familiar with the story of David and Goliath. But while we may know the story, we may not know its message. This is perhaps one of the most misused stories in Scripture. Uh, The interpretation that is often given to the story of David and Goliath uh, has led to some faulty application uh, in the lives of followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, If you search David and Goliath online and look for sermons, you'll find many uh, that capture the theme as being hope for the underdog. Of course, that's very appealing. Here we have tiny David going up against giant Goliath and David prevails, and that gives us hope. Or perhaps you'll find a sermon that talks about the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And how encouraging that is to know that if we can overcome the big obstacles in our life, uh, man, it's going to be a glorious occasion for us. And then, of course, there's always overcoming the giants in your life. Now, all of these themes that I've just given you concerning the story of David and Goliath, certainly there's elements of those found within 1 Samuel 17, but none of them. Not one of them captures the inspired meaning of this passage. And so today it's my prayer that by the help of the Holy Spirit, as we walk through God's word together, that we can understand what God would intend for us to know about the story of David and Goliath and how it does in fact shape our lives in some ways that are far more glorious than those that I've just mentioned to you. As we go through this chapter this morning, I'm not going to read it for us straight through. Uh, Instead, because we're dealing with a narrative passage, we're dealing with a story here. I believe the best way for us to work through the chapter is look at it as it unfolds scene by scene. And there's four scenes that I want to break down for us here in 1 Samuel 17. And then, as we wrap it up, give you three lessons uh, that we can take away centered around uh, the meaning of the message of David and Goliath. So four scenes 
and three lessons. Let's walk through them together this morning. Scene number one, verses one through 11. The opening scene of the chapter, it sets the stage. And in these verses, we meet the challenger, the challenger. Look at the word of God with me this morning. First Samuel 17, verse one. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. So here in these opening two verses, the scene is being painted for us. The stage is being set. The armies of the Philistines are uh, in line against the armies of Israel and Saul. Uh, They're gathered on opposite mountainsides with a valley in between them. And now in verse 3, the Bible tells us uh, that there is a specific challenger who's going to come to the forefront for the Philistines. Verse 3, the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer, went before him. Wow. What a description we're given here of this giant of a man, Goliath of Gath, the champion of the Philistines. He's coming out day after day. We learn in just a moment that for 40 days, he's coming out issuing this charge to the armies of Israel. Send out a warrior to take me on. Mono e mano, one on one, winner takes all. Bring someone to fight me. We've all heard this story perhaps in our young days in Sunday school, and we've been mesmerized at the stature of this challenger, Goliath. The Bible tells us much about his appearance here in these opening verses. He stands incredibly tall. The modern day measurement would be somewhere around nine feet, nine inches tall. To put that into a visual perspective, the top of his head would almost graze the rim of a basketball goal at professional height, 10 feet tall. He could dunk a basketball without barely having to lift his hands at all. Incredibly tall man. And while we might be prone to think that an individual this tall uh, might be prone to some clumsiness, not very agile because of his size, that's not the case at all for the champion of Gath. The Bible tells us that this giant man was clothed with some impressive armor. He had a a coat of mail, a helmet of bronze, and the weight of it was 5,000 shekels. That's a modern-day equivalent of about 125 pounds of armor. He could put this on, and it wouldn't slow him down at all. He could put it on, and with great strength and might, he was able to maneuver himself with ease. Here's a giant of a man who has all the agility in the world as well. 
And if that's not enough, the Bible tells us the weapon that he carried. He had a spear that was like a a weaver's beam in the very head of the spear. The head of the spear alone was 600 shekels of iron, approximately 15 pounds. Certainly an impressive sight, an intimidating one, especially for the armies of Israel and the men who were looking at this day after day. When we get back into this opening scene, we come to verse 8. And the Bible tells us not only about his appearance, but it also speaks to us about his attitude as well. In verse 8, the Bible says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Why are you coming against me, us? Who do you think you are, and how do you think you can win? He says, Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. What we discover about Goliath is that his attitude is as big as his appearance. He's as boastful as he is big. He's quite a formidable challenge to the armies of Israel. As they hear his words, his call to fight, the stakes that are upon the line, all of Israel is greatly afraid and dismayed. None are up to the challenge. This is the opening scene of the story of David and Goliath. It's the first 11 verses of this chapter that we're considering this morning. And it's a striking opening. It begins with this detailed description of a man. But not just any man, a giant of a man, a mountain of a man with an attitude to match. Because we have God's word today. We have something that perhaps the armies of Israel had not yet received, what they did not know. 1 Samuel 17 doesn't open in this fashion by accident, but under divine inspiration. And it opens with this description because of what we were previously told in 1 Samuel 16. In that chapter, the prophet Samuel is sent to the house of Jesse. To anoint the king, the next king of Israel. And in that house, he has the sons of Jesse pass before him. And the oldest comes by. It's Eliab. We'll see him in a moment in the story. And he looks like a king. He's what Samuel expected the king to be. Surely this is the one. But in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord says to his prophet, Do not look on his appearance. Or on the height of his stature, I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then it's on the heels of that statement from the Lord himself that we have this amazing description of the challenger in the story of David and Goliath. The armies of Israel and Saul himself, they had their eyes focused on the wrong thing. They were still looking on the outward appearance. 
But the stage is now set. The challenger is there. What comes next? Scene number two, verses 12 through 18. What I call the casual. The casual. Let's look at what the Bible says. Verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. When we read that on the hills of the opening scene, it's somewhat puzzling, isn't it? I mean, here we are on the verge of war. Here we are on the verge of an unbelievable fight. Here we are with high stakes on the line, this giant of a man calling out the armies of Israel. Winner takes all, losers become servants. And now suddenly in verse 12, we're talking about an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, a man named Jesse, who's old and advanced in years. Kind of striking that the story would turn in such a fashion. We read on, the Bible tells us in verse 13, the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, uh, Abendah, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, mourning and evening. So at the end of verse 16, we come back to the challenger. But prior to that, we've got this weird interlude. We've got this shift in the story. It's an entirely different scene. We're introduced to this family from all places, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. A place that Micah said was too little to be among the clans of Judah. A place that's entirely out of the way. Maybe not even a dot on a map. But yet we're taken there, whisked there by the words of Scripture. And in that we're introduced to four sons of Jesse. Three of them there at the battle site. There on the opposite mountain from the challenger hearing his call. Morning and evening for 40 days. And then in verse 17, from the house of Jesse, David, his son, is told to take for his brothers an ephah of this parched grain, 10 loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. I described this scene as the casual. We could have called it the normal. We could have called it the ordinary. Because what unfolds here in this scene is a care package sent from Jesse to his three oldest sons by his youngest son, David. Loaves and blocks of cheese are taken to offer nourishment and encouragement. But more than that was actually happening. By sending this care package, David, the youngest of Jesse, David, this one who would go back and forth from Saul and 
his father's sheep, David was sent to the battle lines. It's amazing sometimes what God can use to see his plans accomplished. God oftentimes uses the ordinary, most uh, most out-of-the-way things to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. As we read last week in the F-260 plan, I was reminded of how God brought Saul into the presence of Samuel as he would be anointed king. In 1 Samuel 9, verse 3, we're told that Kish, the father of Saul, lost his donkeys. They'd gotten away, they'd escaped, they were now wandering in the wilderness, and Saul was sent to fetch them, to find them, to bring them back home. But yet, in doing so, he was brought to the place where Samuel was. And in that encounter, God's purposes were being accomplished. There are many times in life we face frustrations, things that don't go according to our plans, things that we think are taking us out of the way. And sometimes we're just going about doing the most ordinary of things, but we must always remember that in those occasions, God is always at work. He's always at work. God was working in a way that none could imagine by sending David with this care package to his brothers and the army of Israel. Simply in the casual, God was doing an amazing thing. Then we come to the third scene. The third scene. Verses 19 through 27. This is what I describe as the claim. The claim. Verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. David rose early in the morning and left with the sheep, left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in the charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up and out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. And will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. It's here in these verses, in this third scene, we have the claim that brings us close to the heart of the passage. Here, David, with the provisions, has come to the very lines of battle. Each day, the armies would gather on the opposing hillsides, and in each day, uh, morning and evening, Goliath would come out and issue his cry, and each day, the armies of Israel would cower and retreat. 
But on this occasion, David is able to hear what's taking place. David is able to hear the challenge of the Philistine and he's taken back. He can't believe that none of the men of Israel are standing up against what this this uncircumcised Philistine, this Philistine who has no relationship with God, the God of Israel, the living God, that they would stand against him. He's taken back that none would enter into this fight. The men of Israel recount for David all that awaits for the man who should come up and defeat this Philistine. And in verse 26, we have the very first words that David ever speaks in Scripture. Now, this is not the first time David's mentioned in Scripture, but these are the first words that Scripture records that come from the mouth of David. And when you're reading a narrative, when you're reading a story in in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, First words of characters are oftentimes very important words. They're going to give us an idea of what this individual, what this character is really all about. And here in David's words, we come to realize where David's heart is set. In verse 26, he says to the men who stood by him, he says to them, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach The reproach that this Philistine is bringing to Israel itself. Now, there are a couple of ways that we could take those words that David says there. It could be that he is wanting to know again what the men have just said, and perhaps that's part of it. But I really don't think that's what David is saying there. I think it's more a rhetorical question that David is uttering here rather than an inquiry that he's wanting to hear again. What was available for the man who would defeat this giant of Gath? Previously, they told him, this man who kills this this giant will get great riches. Uh, Saul's daughter will be his wife and his father's house will be free in Israel. Saul is trying to sweeten the the pot here to to find someone to take this nemesis on. But in verse 26, David, when he asked about that, it's not an inquiry so much as it is a disbelief. What? Are you kidding me? You're worried about what you can get for fighting against this man from Philistia? You're worried about what you can get for taking on this Philistine? And I believe that's the case because of the second half of verse 26. David begins that phrase, that question with four. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is not concerned with about what he may get if he should win this fight. David is not concerned with what is being offered to the one who would take down this giant. No, David is concerned about the glory of God in the situation. I could care less about riches or freedom or wives. David said, for I'm concerned that this Philistine is bringing reproach upon the people of God and upon God himself. He's defying the armies of the living God. It's here. And the first words that we hear David speak, that we, we know he is a man after God's own heart. 
It's here that we understand what is at the center of David's being, the glory of God. That's what's taking David aback. That God's glory can be ridiculed and mocked. David said, we can't have that. He's the living God of Israel. That's the claim that gets us closer to the the heart of this passage. The glory of God is what's at stake in this fight. Not a wife and not riches and not freedom. The glory of God. And that brings us to the final scene in 1 Samuel 17. The conflicts. Verses 28 through 54. After offering his claim, David actually faces three conflicts instead of one. We, we often think that it's just the fight with Goliath. And of course, uh, that's the climactic moment. That's the ultimate conflict. But there's two more that David has to encounter before he ever faces Goliath. First of all, in verses 28 through 30, he has to deal with his older brother, Eliab. In verse 28, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard the words that David spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep you have in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Before he ever faces Goliath, he must first deal with his oldest brother, Eliab. Now, certainly we can understand uh, siblings going back and forth at each other. But that's not the case that's taking place here in these verses. No, Eliab's anger is kindled against David. Who are you, younger brother? Who are you, little shepherd boy, to think that you can do something about this? You shouldn't even be here. You're just being a nosy little brat. That's all that you are being. Before David is ever condemned by Goliath, he's condemned here by his own brother. Before he ever faces the giant, he's got to deal with his own flesh and blood. Conflict number one. Then, verses 31 through 40, we have conflict number two. David is still adamant. Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? His brother didn't want to hear it. So he began to tell all the other men. They still didn't get it. But they finally realized this guy wants to do something about this giant. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 
Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Having dealt with his oldest brother, now he must deal directly with the king himself. Saul is wanting to push back against David. You're just a youth. You have no experience in combat. You have no experience in fighting this man. From his earliest days was nothing but a warrior. But David gave his testimony. He shared how he had faced many battles with wild beasts as he was a shepherd out in the field. Certainly not uncommon. And David shares about how he dealt with them in an amazing way. But do you notice that David doesn't give the credit to his skill, to his might, to his strength? Instead, David said, it was the Lord who delivered me. It was the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear. And it will be the Lord as well who would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine also. David is expressing his great confidence in the Lord. His great confidence in God. The encounter with Saul continues on in verse 38. Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. He then took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Here's a king who's unwilling to fight, trying to give advice to a a shepherd who's wanting to become a soldier. And he says, take my armor, straps it on David, and David realizes, I can't do this. I can't take your armor and go out and fight this Philistine. David takes it all, and instead he picks up his staff, he picks up his stones, puts them in his shepherd's pouch. He'll go and he'll fight this warrior as a shepherd. And that brings us to the major conflict here in the text. Verses 41 through 54, David facing off with Goliath, this giant of a man that was introduced to us at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 41, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. Goliath has lost nothing from the beginning of the chapter. His ego and bravado is just as big. He curses David by the Philistine gods. He's dismayed that they would send someone out of David's stature to face off against him. Verse 45. It's David's time to speak. And I love his reply. I love what he says. David can give it out just as good as Goliath. 
David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you And he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face into the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword. I love what Dell Ralph Davis said in his commentary. A great Old Testament theologian. He said David took his sword and didn't even have to ask permission to do so. He took the sword of Goliath. Drew it out of its sheath and killed him. And cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. David prevails in this final conflict, in this climactic moment. What's interesting in this particular part of the scene is that there's more attention to the words that are spoken than to the battle that is fought. More emphasis on the the conversation between the two warriors than the detail given regarding the fight. Goliath cursed David by his God, but David, speaking just as strong, displays his confidence in God, the living God, the God of Israel. What you have actually unfolding here is not a conflict between two men, but a spiritual conflict. And in this fight, in the most unusual manner, David takes down Goliath. Using the arsenal of a shepherd, he drops this giant of a man. And then picking up this giant sword, he cuts off his head. David was willing to do what Saul would not do with King Agag and the Amicalites. And what we see in the final scene here is Goliath is laying face down, his head now removed from his body, as that he winds up just like the God by which he cursed David. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenants, and they'd brought it into their temple, where their god Dagon had a statue or representation. And they woke up the next morning, and what they discovered is that statue had been toppled, and its hands and its head severed from its body. Here's this Philistine who has cursed David by that very God. And now David has removed his head from his body. David wins the battle and the Israelites share in the victory. David has won 
And all Israel prevails. That's the story. So many parts that can endear us and capture us. So many statements that we could pick apart and just look at and hold on to. And certainly there's times it's right to do so, but we can't miss its message. What do we take away from the story of David and Goliath? Is it simply about being an underdog and prevailing? Is it about overcoming giants in your life, facing opposition that seems insurmountable? All those are things worthy of conversation, but that's not the meaning. That's not what God would want us to understand and leave with as we think about 1 Samuel 17. Instead, there's something far more important. Let me give you three lessons to leave with this morning from 1 Samuel 17. The story of David and Goliath, first of all, teaches us that we must exult in God's glory. We must exult in God's glory. This is not a story about a giant, but a story about God's glory being on display. In fact, the greater giant in the text of 1 Samuel 17 is not Goliath, but God. The one who is greater and stronger and mightier than all. And we know that God's glory is the very theme of 1 Samuel 17 because of David's climactic statement that we looked at earlier. The claim that he made for who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. That word defy, which means to mock or to ridicule the living God and his armies. That word is used six times in this chapter. You find it on the lips of David. You find it on the lips of Goliath. You find it on the lips of the soldiers of Israel. Verse 10, verse 25, twice in verse 26, verse 36, and verse 45. What's at stake in 1 Samuel 17 is the glory of God. And David's heart was set on exulting, on delighting, on being excited about God and His glory. I wonder, is that your concern today? Is it your ultimate concern in life to see God glorified in whatever the situation may be? David couldn't fathom how God would be glorified by the men of Israel standing on the opposite side of a mountain from a a challenger and doing nothing. They hadn't comprehended the glory of the God who had made them his own. But David had. And there was no way that he would stand oddly by and allow the glory of that God to be diminished or devalued. I wonder, is the glory of God your ultimate concern in life today? Do you realize that making much of God is more than just a mission statement that we talk about here? It's the means by which we're supposed to live life as followers of God to make much of him in everything that we do. Is it your prayer as Jesus taught us, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, glorify your name. Is that the longing of your heart today? 1 Samuel 17 calls us back to the very center of everything, that which is above all things, the glory of our God. Do you exult in that glory today? Lesson two. The story of David and Goliath reminds us 
that as God's people, we can rejoice in God's power. We can rejoice in God's power. David won, not by his might, not by his strength, not by his strategy, but rather by the power of God. The text goes to great lengths to tell us there was no sword in the hand of David. He he took no battle weapon into the fight with him. Rather, he prevailed by the power of God. What we realize in 1 Samuel 17 is that the power of God cannot be stopped. And because of that, he will prevail in seeing his glory exalted. Therefore, today, we can be a people that can rejoice no matter what situation we may face. Because God's power is at work in us as well. So let us then learn to lean and to trust and rely on that power. Let us not rely upon the energy of our flesh. Let us not rely upon our own abilities. No, instead, let us cast ourselves upon God. Let us attempt great things for him because his power is great toward us. The story of David and Goliath reminds us to rejoice in God's prevailing power. And then finally, lesson three. The story of David and Goliath tells us that we need to celebrate God's champion. We need to celebrate God's champion. It may shock you to know that David isn't the hero of the story. So often when we read the Old Testament stories like David, like the others that we're so familiar with, we see those individuals and we immediately think, man, they're the hero of the story. But David is not the hero of the story, a vital part of the story, no doubt, and an instrument in the story, certainly. But David isn't the hero of the story. And when we fail to realize that, we run into great danger. Because so many times in the story of David and Goliath, you know who we want to be? David. Because we want to be the hero. But David is not the hero of the story. Because the story of David and Goliath is about a far greater story. The story of David and Goliath teaches us the gospel story. Yes, there's implications for David's life here. There's implications for the nation of Israel. But on the grander stage of all history, the redemptive story is playing out. And the story of David and Goliath is a gospel story. A story about Jesus. A story about the greater son of David. The story about a promised king who would come and in the most unusual fashion as a shepherd would go and lay down his life for us to defeat the greatest enemy that we have, sin and death and Satan. And by conquering over them through his death and resurrection, we can share in victory today. So as we think about David and Goliath, let us be excited about what David did. Let us rejoice in in what David accomplished, but let us cast our eyes above David and beyond him and see God's greater David to come, Jesus Christ. And let us celebrate the victory that he has given and that he provides over the greatest enemy that we all have, a giant that we cannot defeat. The giant that we cannot overcome. You see, that's the great problem if we place ourselves in the wrong place in this story. 
If we think we can overcome certain giants, we're fooling ourselves. We can't, but Jesus has. So we celebrate God's ultimate champion, God's ultimate king, the ultimate shepherd. We celebrate Jesus today. And as we close our time together in God's word, looking at this familiar story, I would just simply ask you today, wherever you may be watching, whoever you may be watching with, Do you celebrate Jesus? Is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Have you realized that he is the one who has defeated Satan and sin and overcome death? Have you placed your faith and your trust in him? And if you haven't, today I would encourage you, I would exhort you, I would call you to surrender your lives to him. To believe in him and be saved today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. This familiar story that we've heard so, so often. Father, we thank you. We thank you for David, that he was willing to stand, to fight compelled by the glory of a living God. And let us learn from that. Let us stand when others would not, may not. Let us have great confidence in your power as we look back and remember how you've been faithful throughout the years. But most of all, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes upon the one who's the ultimate champion. The one who rules and reigns over all. The one who by going to a cross, laying down his life, dying for us, has given salvation to all who would believe in him. May we celebrate Jesus today. Father, I pray for those who may be watching and they don't know Jesus. Jesus is not their hero. Their heart's not set on the glory of God. Lord, I pray that today they would call to Him. They would come in repentance and faith to surrender before Him they would believe in him today and be saved. Holy Spirit, would you take the word of God which you've inspired today, the word which we have heard today, and would you apply it to our hearts and our lives, shape us to the people of God that we need to be, for the glory of God alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.